I'd ask you to turn in the back of the hymnal uh, this morning to uh, Lord's Day 15, question 43. It's found on page, uh, turning to it myself, so give me a moment. Um, Question 43 is found on page 879. If you've been paying attention uh, during Pastor Dan's uh, sermons, you might uh, remember or at least recall that this is kind of a step backwards, and that is because when we had the five-borough bike race, I was scheduled to preach on uh, this portion of the catechism, but of course, uh, yeah, didn't make it. So we're, we're kind of going back, stepping backwards to go forward. So well, let's read Lord's Day 16, all the questions and answers, but focusing specifically uh, today on question 43. So beginning with question 40, I would ask you to provide the answer. Why did Christ have to suffer death? And these are going through the various phrases of the Apostles' Creed, so you'll note the word buried, and the next question is in quotation marks from the Apostles' Creed. Why was he buried? No, I don't want to preach on this, but that's important because down to this very day, people continue to circulate the idea that Jesus didn't really die, uh, that his disciples came and took his body away. No, his death testifies that he really died. 42, since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? It's a reasonable question. The answer is? Very good. And then the question we focus on today, question 43, what further benefit do we see from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Very good. This is a very important benefit because it is one that has to do with how you and I actually live the Christian life, all right? So it's not just like, oh, we'll be raised with Christ when we die. This is something that has very rubber hits the road um, importance for you and for me as we go about our daily Christian lives. So if you'd open to Romans chapter 6, we'll read uh, those verses together. The Catechism, uh, if you are unfamiliar with it, is a human document. It was written by Casper uh, Livianus uh, uh, and Ursinus, Zacharias Ursinus, many, many centuries ago. Um, but it is a biblical document in this respect. For, first, um, the question and answer format is a biblical format. You'll recall how Jesus often asked his disciples questions. Uh, it's a teaching method which continues down to this day in uh, pedagogy. For those of you that are educators, you're familiar with the Socratic method as a pedagogical method, all right? It's biblical also in the sense uh, that it faithfully reflects the teaching of the Bible. And it's not because I say so, but it's a time-tested document. It has been proven down throughout the centuries by those like us who are always asking the question, show me in the Bible, all right? Uh, And uh, over the course of time, uh, it's been proven to be a faithful reflection of the teaching of the Bible, and we'll see that in Romans chapter 6. Let's read the first 14 verses uh, together. This is God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as, an in- as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Quick reference here for the purpose of uh, outline. Look at verse 12, and you'll notice the word therefore, all right? Therefore is always there for a reason. It is the summation, the conclusion, the consequence of what precedes it. And what precedes it are two very important points that Paul is making to you and to me. That is that you have died with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. And secondly, you have been raised with Christ. Therefore, you are to live like a resurrected man or a resurrected woman. And that's, in fact, the outline we're going to follow today. All right? What further benefit do you derive Uh, from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross, you have died. You have been raised to newness of life. Therefore, live like a resurrected man or a resurrected woman. All right? So, let's look at that uh, here today. Paul is simply exhorting you and me to remember who you are. All right? And that is uh, what we've learned in chapter 5. We're not going to look at it today. Is that you are united to Jesus Christ. All right? You are united to Jesus Christ, which is why we sang for our first hymn, Union with Thee. All right? Very important fact of the Christian life. You are united to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian uh, by faith alone, in Christ alone, because of God's grace alone, you have been brought into union with Jesus Christ, a living union, a vital union with Him. All right? We'll look more about that. All right? So, Uh, The first benefit is that you have been crucified with Christ. You are dead. The old man of sin is dead. Notice, if you will, the past tenses in this passage. All right? Look at verse 2. We who died to sin. The tense, very important. Right? Not those who will die. Not those who in the future might die. But you who have died. All right? Look at verse 3. All right, who have who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Past tense, verse four. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism. Past tense, verse five. Uh, same thing. <clears throat> we have been united with Him in His death. All right, verse six. Our old self was crucified. Past tense, verse seven. Not one who has died. 
past tense, has been set free. Past tense, all right? Uh, verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, all right? Very important that when you read the Bible, you pay attention to these things. I realize that many of you are trying to read through the Bible in a year. You have your reading calendars. That's very good. Your devotional life. But I also know, because it's a problem for me as well, that if you do it in the morning or if you do it late at night before you go to bed, it's probably not your optimum time, right? Maybe you've had a couple of sips of coffee, but you read through a text. And how many times have you read through a text and you get to the end of it and it's like, eh, what did I read? you got to go back, right? I see head jotting, right? You're just like me, right? But here's something you got to pause, right? you got to think. This is the benefit that comes, all right, <clears throat> from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross. This is a present reality. As Paul says, it's a past tense for you, all right? This is something that's true of you now because you, something has happened to you in the past, you were crucified with Christ. What happened to Jesus, Paul is saying, has happened to you if you're a Christian because you are united to Jesus Christ. When you believed in Jesus Christ, that was, wasn't just some propositional expression of uh, historical reality. Yeah, I believe Jesus was a historical person. I believe this, I believe that, and you know, you pray a prayer and it's over. No. If you pray in faith, right, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If that's true, the Holy Spirit who gave you that faith, who opened your eyes to see Jesus as a Savior from sin, unites you to Jesus. So that, Paul is saying, what happened to Jesus happened to you. Christ was crucified. You were crucified. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him. You see why we sang union with thee? First hymn, right? Union with Christ. For a Christian to continue to sin is impossible. Why? Because that old man of sin is dead. All right? <clears throat> Your old self Romans 5, again, you can look at it later. Your old self was in Adam, all right? <clears throat> in Adam, you were under both the guilt of sin and the dominion of sin. The, Paul personifies sin to be like a person. It says you're under the thraldom of sin. You are enslaved to sin. It captured you. Jesus said this in John 8, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you're not a Christian, don't suffer under the illusion that you're just free to live any way you want. You're a slave. You're a slave, a slave to sin, right? Under, but, but that identity in Adam is gone for a Christian. That's not something you accomplish on your own, but it's a fact of being united with Jesus Christ. His historical death for sin is your spiritual death to sin. Look at verses uh, uh, 6. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Notice the purpose clause. In order that. This is a benefit that a Christian derives 
from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross. And it's a reality now that you're no longer enslaved to sin because of that. Verse 7, for one who has died, that's you if you're a Christian, right, has been set free from sin. And note this, just a minor digression here. Freedom as we approach July 4th, freedom in the Bible is always the freedom to obey God. We live in a licentious society which has distorted the definition of freedom. It was never intended to be that. Freedom is written on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. It's written all over the walls and the halls of Washington, D.C. Freedom was the establishment of our, but it was always a freedom to obey God. Notice that as we come on... Now, here's a perfect application, right? Today we have a parade going up 5th Avenue from 42nd Street to 86th Street. I'm sure everybody knows what the parade is, all right? <clears throat> we are proud to be free. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. More about that in 1130, all right? Freedom is always the freedom to obey God. It's the freedom from sin. It's freedom from the slavery, the bondage of sin. All right? Uh, One author puts it uh, this way. He says, I am no longer a slave to sin. I do not have to enter into this temptation. How can I subject myself to sin's dominion since I have been set free from sin's power? He goes on, he says, and I hope everyone does this, very important that you preach the gospel to yourself every day, all right? Preach the gospel. Martin Luther, every morning when he would wake up, before he would throw his legs over the side of the bed, would say, I am accepted in Jesus Christ for no other reason than that he has loved me and died for me. He preached the gospel to himself every morning before he got out of bed. So I hope you're preaching the gospel to yourself every day, reminding yourself who you are, what Jesus Christ has done for you, who he is, right? But What Paul is saying is, you have to preach your sanctification to yourself every day. You have to remember who you are, because once you put your feet on the floor to get out of bed, those thoughts come. Those ideas come. Your heart starts prone to wander. Leave the one I love. You have to remember your sanctification. Remind yourself of your sanctification. Preach the truth of your sanctification to yourself. And as you do, you'll make strides in your progressive sanctification, knowing that you have been justified in Christ, you have been set free from sin. All right? Secondly, one, you died. What's the benefit? You died. You're dead. Second, you're raised to newness of life. Look at verse 4. In order that just as Christ was raised... From the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying, Christ died, you died. Christ was buried, you were buried. Christ was raised, you were raised. You were raised to newness of life. Look at verse 8. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Not just in the future, In the glory by and by, but now, here and now, right? Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. The death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That's you. 
A Christian is united to Jesus in his life. You are branches on the vine, John 15. You partake of the spiritual life and vitality that is in Jesus Christ. He's been raised now to the glory, the life, the power, and the newness that are in heavenly places. And so have you. Look at second, well, you know it, I trust. The verse, I hope. If you haven't memorized it, you should. If anyone is in Christ... There is new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? The old is gone. That old man of sin is dead. The new has come. You're raised to newness of life. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Very important, or I want to encourage you. Ephesians chapter 1 and your struggle with sin. More about that in a moment. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 19, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And because it's inspired and written down in this book, it's a prayer for you and for me in this church. All right, Paul prays this prayer, and it lives down throughout the centuries and is alive and is a prayer for you and for me. Look at verse 19. Paul's Paul's praying, verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches... Uh, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says, I pray that you might know that power. That power that raised Christ from the dead. You say, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That just seems like a pipe dream. No, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 6. You died. You're united to Christ if you're a Christian. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried. That old man is dead and gone. And you were raised to newness of life. The power that raised Christ from the dead is that which lives in you. Why? To make you free to obey God. No longer be a slave to sin. One man wrote this, I'm not sure whether it was a poem or a hymn, but it captures the sentiment well. Listen. And shall we then go on to sin that grace may more abound? Great God forbid that such a thought should in our breast be found. With Christ the Lord we died to sin. With him to life we rise. To life which now begun on earth is perfect in the skies. Too long enthralled to Satan's sway, we now are slaves no more. For Christ hath vanquished death and sin, our freedom to secure. Oh, you are dead. What benefit do you derive from Christ's death on the cross? Thank God, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it's not just pie in the sky when you die by and by, right? No, it's steak on the plate while you wait, man. Come on, it's here, now. This has rubber hits the road reality. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Does this have any relevance, meaning for you tomorrow morning? Does it have any meaning and relevance for you this afternoon? Get it. Get it. Thirdly, you're to live like, back to verse uh, 12, therefore, right? Verse 11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Paul spells it out. 
He says, here's the reality. Here's the truth. If you're united to Jesus Christ, this is what happened to you. This is who you are. You're united to Jesus Christ. And then he says, okay, okay, here it comes. Here's the rubber hits the road. Here's the application. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. What's he saying? Think carefully about this, especially with regard to taking action. You are dead and alive in Christ. This is something you must continually think about and act on. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. More on that in a moment. Why? Because now that old man of flesh wars against the new man of the spirit. Be killing sin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The Christian life is like climbing a mountain of ice. Picture it, right? Now, you don't have any of these fancy climbing equipment that people use today, right? You just got your hands and your feet. You're climbing a mountain of ice. You're struggling. You're going up one after another, right? One after another. What happens when you stop? Oh, you don't stand still. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Notice, please notice this. Paul is not saying be a good person. Paul is not saying be nice. God spare us from niceanity, right? This is not moralism. This is not pleasing God in, about, in your own strength. That's all about you. Rather, it's be like Christ. Recognize who you are in Jesus Christ. What do you do when you fail and you fall? Well, I'm going to go on to some more practical application here. Let's let's do it. All right. Somebody was talking to me the other day, three enemies. We were talking about this, Pastor Dan and I, with a couple of guys in Michigan. The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The world and the devil are conflicts that we fight out there. The conflict that we have, the war with the flesh, is in here, right? The presence of undwilling sin. What's Paul saying? He said, you died to sin, but sin didn't die to you. This is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5 when he says the flesh wars against the spirit. The flesh wars against the spirit. If you're a Christian, you know that war. You know it in your thoughts. You know it in your inclinations. You know it in your temptations, right? That war is going on. It's what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7, right? So what's your personal area of weakness? I ask you. What's your personal area of weakness? You don't have to shout it out, all right? But what is it? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it gossip? Is it self-righteousness? Is it anger? What is it? What is it? You have to put that sin to death every day. Jesus says, If any man would come, Luke chapter 9, we're not going to turn there. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Need I remind you, I have to say this whenever I quote that verse, right? Taking up your cross is not your mother-in-law, right? It's not some fatal dread disease 
oh, God's given me this as my cross to bear. The cross was an instrument of death, and the people that Jesus were speaking to knew full well what the cross was. It was something you died on. And Jesus says, you have to take up your cross every day. Take up that battle. Take up that cross. You died. Die every day. Consider yourself dead to sin. Let not sin therefore rule in your body. Right? And please, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I don't want you to misunderstand the Apostle Paul. Hopefully I'm faithfully reflecting what he's written here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not a matter of do more, try harder. A lot of people pursue the Christian life. Like, do more, try harder. That's not the Christian life. That's willpower. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Very different. We're talking about spiritual realities here, right? What does it mean? What does it mean? Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, if I can find it. He said, what then is this killing of sin? It's the constant battle against sin which we fight every day. The refusal to allow the eye to wander, the mind to contemplate, the affections to run after anything that will draw us from Christ. It's the deliberate rejection of any sinful thought, suggestion, desire, aspiration, deed, circumstance, or provocation at the moment we become conscious of its existence. It's the consistent endeavor to do all in our powers to weaken the grip which sin in general and its manifestations in our own lives in particular has. It is not accomplished only by saying no to what is wrong, but by a determined acceptance of all that is good and spiritually nourishing disciplines of the gospel. It's by resolutely weeding the garden of the heart and also by planting, watering, and nurturing Christian graces there. All of you that went to the botanical gardens yesterday, you got that kind of imagery? Huh? Does it kind of come alive? Applied to your spiritual life, right? Yeah, it's not just in the Bronx, right? Yeah, it's every day. Yeah. It's by resolutely weeding the garden of the heart. Putting sin to death will take place. Not only must we slay the noxious weeds of sin, but we must see that the flowers of grace are sucking up the nourishment of the Spirit's presence in our hearts. Only when those hearts are so full of grace will less room exist for sin to breathe and flourish. When we lived in Brooklyn, our next-door neighbor, we had a fence up between because we had attached houses. Next-door neighbor had this, like, tree that was just growing, and every year it would come over the fence and would shed one thing or the other. I said, you know, we got to get that tree cut down. It wasn't a tree. It was a weed. It was a weed that had never been paid attention to, that had grown to look like a tree. The weeds of sin need to be pruned every day at the moment. couple of things. Recognize sin for what it is. When we get to it in the Heidelberg Catechism, it says, what's conversion? Conversion is daily putting off and putting on. And when it talks about putting on, it says, we come to hate sin more and more. 
the shallowness of Christianity and Christians in our day and age is because we don't even think like this, talk like this, no less act like this. Do you hate sin? Recognize sin for what it is. It's an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. It's a personal offense. Genesis chapter 6, God was grieved in his heart that he had ever created man when he saw the wickedness of man on the earth. God takes sin personally. It's ugly. I forget the author, but there's a famous story, the picture of Dorian Gray. Does anybody know it? Picture of Dorian Gray? David, Victoria, you know it, right? Dorian Gray was this character who was given like perpetual youth. But there was a picture in the attic as he went about his dissolute and sinful, immoral life that all of that would show up in the picture that was in the attic. You know it, right? Yeah. And occasionally he would go up in the attic and he would look at the picture. And it was this horrific monster. Ugly. That's what sin is. And you and I are called to hate it. Recognize sin for what it is. Secondly, bring sin into the light of God's presence. Bring sin into the presence of the cross. Bring sin into the presence of the cross. Get on your knees before that cross and see the ugliness of sin as what it cost God, his only begotten son, to not just undergo the rigors and the horrors of crucifixion, but that on the cross Jesus suffered the horrors of hell that you and I deserve for each and every sin. Bring that sin into the light of God's presence at the foot of the cross. Can you go that far and not want to put sin to death? Look at verse 21 in Romans 6. Thirdly, recall the shame of sin. Verse 21. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? I didn't become a Christian until I was 29. I had many regrets in my life, many scars, spiritual, which I'll carry to my grave from those 29 years of unbelief. But I have to confess to you, there are times when I think about that, and it's not just regret. It's shame. Shame. Now, thank God, Jesus Christ has paid and remove that guilt and condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But you see what Paul is saying? What, what fruit were you getting? He's saying, he's saying think back. He, you want to go back to Egypt? You, you want to go back to that lifestyle? Of which you are ashamed now? Fourthly, remember you're united to Christ. Remember who you are. Let that knowledge do its powerful work. It's here, you see, John Owen, in his massive volume on sin, talks about, and it's a very important point here, <clears throat> he talks about dealing with sin at a motivational level. 
You can look at Ephesians 4 where it says, put off the old man which is uh, being corrupted by its deceitful desires, be made new in the attitude of your mind, put on the new man which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, and say, oh, oh, this is like, uh, this is like AA, right, or NA. It's dehabituation, rehabituation. Put off the bad, put on the good. Out with the bad, in with the good. No, 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 no. Owen says, no, that's too superficial. You need to deal with the motivations of your heart. Put sin to death at a motivational level. How does that come? Remember who you are. You must consider yourself. Let sin therefore no longer reign. Lastly, pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember the difference between willpower and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. John Flavel, an old Puritan, says, Grace is to corruption as water is to a fire. If by the Spirit, Paul says later, you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. So, what benefit do you derive? Forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Hallelujah, praise God. But here's the rubber meets the road reality of the daily Christian life. You're dead. You're new in Christ. Therefore, live like resurrected men and resurrected women in that battle with sin each and every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for your word which is a lamp unto our feet, which guides us and guards us in our struggle with the world, with the devil, and with our own flesh. Help us live lives each and every day that are worthy of the high and holy calling of the gospel, empowered by your Spirit, offered up to Christ, and lived pleasing in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.